Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called to them, to him, and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's, let's pray one more time before... Uh... We hear God's, God's word. Father, please help us to understand your word this morning. Uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts uh, that long for you and uh, come to know you through your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in the, in the first century, uh, Jesus asked his first disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? And uh, the very first person to confess that, the first person to say who Jesus was, was Peter. And he said, you are, the, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said those words that every Christian must say at some point uh, to be a Christian. And so with Peter, we can also decide to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, or we can refuse. Uh, the choice is ours. The choice is, is in our hands. And um, C.S. Lewis once observed that we're left only with three options when it, when it comes to Jesus. When we hear about Jesus, we're left with three things. We're left with either Jesus is a liar, he's, a, he's the Lord, Lord, or he's a lunatic. Those are our choices before us. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And so this morning from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 30, I think we find uh, that's exactly what we encounter, that he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. So let's look at this first thing, that he's possibly a lunatic. Uh, so this, this uh, claim here, this charge that Jesus is a lunatic, it actually first sprang up and came from his own family. We find in verse 21. So we read verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Um, so can you imagine, first of all, having so many people around you? We've been talking about these massive crowds. Well, now there's, there's so many crowds that they've crowded in on his life so much that he can't even eat. And so whether that means that uh, uh, there's just too many people, um, so he had no time to eat, or there were too many people in the way that he couldn't actually you know, get to the fridge, as it were. Uh, he couldn't, couldn't even get a bite to eat. That's crazy. Um, so with... That kind of a crowd, after so much busyness already, uh, we can assume, you know, he's truly human, so he's probably getting pretty fatigued, and his disciples too, at this kind of radical lifestyle. Um, 
and his ministry is preventing him from self-care. So we can kind of see why maybe his family might want to step in and have an intervention time with Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, are you crazy? Like, are you mad? Um, you can't keep this lifestyle up. And so they do intervene. And the, the Greek wording here is intense. It's, it's, it's pretty fierce. It says uh, it, it evokes this image of being seized or, or being captured or being um, arrested so that your, your freedom is, is limited. You're being bound is the language here. And it's his family that's trying to restrict him um, here. Those who are closest to Jesus were most worried about him. And what are they worried about? Um, I think his crazy busy lifestyle, sure, yeah, that, that, that's alarming, cause for concern. But I think there's more to it than that. I think his life is just too radical. Uh, he is constantly going around preaching and teaching and traveling and healing and exercising, not exercising, exercising, however you say that. Like, what's the verb? What? <laughs> Casting out demons. There you go. That'll work. That's a lot easier to say. Um, so it was, uh, but it was, it was causing a ruckus, right? It was causing a commotion that, that, that not just this small town of, of uh, uh, Nazareth now, but, but all of Galilee, the surrounding regions. And, and the word is now reaching Jerusalem about this Jesus who, who is this miracle worker and who's doing so much. And so they seemed worried that, that soon the religious authorities might actually come to seize him. That, um, that he would be in big, big trouble. And so if they could just convince people that he is mad, that he's a lunatic, he could be let off the hook for all the problems he was stirring up. By the way, has being a Christian ever caused you conflict in your life? Has it ever brought you any conflict? Um, when I was... In college, I had a friend who, uh, she, she converted from uh, Muslim to, to Christianity, uh, from Islam to Christianity, and, uh, and uh, all of her family were practicing Muslims, and when she converted, she lost her family. I mean, her family no longer spoke to her. She was lucky if her own mom would talk to her. And that's what she lost when she came to believe in Jesus, and she said it was worth it. Um, she counted the cost, and, and it was a severe cost to her to follow Jesus. Um, but I think we, what we get here uh, right, right away is that to follow Christ means conflict will probably follow us. And uh, our, our family might question us, or others in our life might possibly think that we're pretty crazy for believing in this whole Christianity thing. It might be like, what's up with that? So... Uh, has that happened to you yet, though? Have you found that following Jesus has, has led to conflict? Back to Jesus' family. We see how his, his family tries to protect Jesus. And, and, and the way that they're doing that is also one way any of us can try to write him off. That if, if Jesus is just this, this lunatic, then I don't have to believe the kind of claims that he made about himself. Um, the whole Christianity thing's a joke. That, I mean, even his own, own family uh, wasn't totally convinced. They were saying that he was mad. Why should I believe that he's God? So that's one possibility. Jesus is a lunatic. Let's look at another possibility, that Jesus is a liar. So this one we find in, uh, in the next part of it, of our passage. The scribes, they, they thought he was satanic. Verse 30. Or at least they're willing to label him 
as satanic, demonic, so that they don't have to believe what he said about himself. So verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And so these are the scribes, you know, we've encountered them before, the legal experts and scholars of the Pharisees. This group of people, though, uh, isn't the same group that we've encountered. These ones are from Jerusalem. So word has got around so much that, that scribes, officials, are sent from Jerusalem now to check things out and to discredit the life and ministry of Jesus. This is already happening because Jesus doesn't fit into their categories. And they need to label him to discredit him. And so they say that he's working for the prince of demons, Beelzebul. He's acting like he's God, but he's a liar. Maybe that's what you think about Jesus today. Maybe you think he's a liar. Maybe you think he's uh, full of it. He was a fake. But I think before we can think that about Jesus, we have to at least consider Jesus in the whole of his life and ministry. And we have to consider what he says in response to this charge of being a liar. So let's look at that. Uh, because Jesus doesn't respond in the same way by labeling the scribes. He doesn't fight fire with fire. Instead, he exposes their faulty thinking. So let's read verse 23. And he called to them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. I mean, it's, it's simple enough, right? If Satan were to stand up against Satan, uh, he'd be fighting against himself. That makes no sense. That house can't stand. That's a simple picture. Um, it's sort of like, uh, see, I'm a, I was an Avengers, Avengers fan. Anybody see Endgame? Um, well, before Endgame, maybe since not that many hands went up, uh, how about Civil War? That one? That was the one. No? Captain America Civil War? Like one hand went up? What's up with that? Two hands? Gosh. Okay. Well, anyways, the Avengers, you know, um, Cap, Captain America and, and Iron Man and all of them. Well, they, they start fighting. Tony and Cap are enemies all of a sudden. And you have two Avengers and they're fighting each other. And, well, the Avengers could no longer stand. They, they fell apart. They broke up. That's, that's the plot. That's what happens. So there you go. Sorry. That, that movie's been out too long, so. Um, but, a, but a house that, that is divided cannot stand. And so if the devil's fighting the devil, his kingdom's going to collapse, right? Um, you know, one thing that's interesting about this is, is nobody could dispute that Jesus was healing and casting out demons. Nobody could dispute that. Uh, all the scribes were left with is just to try to discredit the kind of ministry that he was doing. Uh, but it makes no sense. So Jesus exposes their lies. He tells the truth. And in verse 27, he says this. He says, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now this verse um, is an illusion. It, 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 Jesus uses it to call us back to the prophet Isaiah. And in chapter 49, which we heard in the call to worship this morning, and I want to read that again, um, where, where the servant of the Lord rescues captives from wicked rulers, wicked, oppressive tyrants. So let's read this. 
It says, can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you. I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. For then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And so, so Jesus is essentially he's quoting this section of Old Testament scripture from Isaiah 49. And he, and he wants us to see that he is that divine warrior himself. That he is coming to overpower and overcome and bind up the strong man, which is the devil. And he's going to overrun his kingdom. Because Jesus' stronger kingdom is the one that's breaking in and he is setting his captives free. He has come to save his people for himself. That's what that whole picture uh, is, is telling us. And so, now all this satanic talk, right? Because we've had a lot of that already. This kingdom talk uh, might make us a little bit uncomfortable. Um, probably because we still live in a modern age where we're like, we don't really see uh, exorcisms happening so much, right? Unless you're watching The Exorcist or a movie like that, which I actually have not seen, so... Don't know why I brought that one up. Yeah, so now I'm the enemy, huh? I see some faces like, oh, yeah. You should have watched that movie. Well, maybe not. So, You should watch Captain America, though. <laughs> um, but, but I think it makes us uncomfortable. Jesus as this exorcist. Um, it's not exactly, it doesn't seem to fit into our categories, right? It doesn't seem that logical to us. And we might feel uncomfortable seeing that Jesus healed. Uh, we might actually feel comfortable that he healed in the Gospel of Mark. That's fine, right? Uh, okay, heal people. But exercise, casting out demons. No, 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 that sounds way too intense, Jesus. Don't, don't you dare do such a thing. Um, that offends my modern intelligence, right? Um, I don't have the imagination for such a thing. Maybe we're feeling like Jesus' family right now, and we'd rather just shut him up, right? And rather than hear the scriptures speak on this point. But I think the truth is that we need a savior who not just preaches and teaches and heals, but who also is capable of casting out all evil. We need a king, we need a ruler who's able to do that because the simple fact is the world we live in is wicked, man. I mean, it is an evil world where there are mass shootings and there are, man, there's just so much wickedness that, that prevails. There's, there's famine. There's, I mean, just flip on the news and you just get depressed watching what is going on in our world. And so we need Jesus as the exorcist to come and show up and help us to begin to see and face reality as it really is. It's evil. The world we live in is full of princes and powers and principalities, as Ephesians 2 says, that we don't quite understand, and yet we live in, we, we experience, and so we need Jesus to take all those enemies captive and overcome them. Back to the scribes. To believe that Jesus is a liar is just not logical. That's what Jesus is telling them here in our passage, that people would rather make up lies about him than believe the truth about him, that he said he is who he said he is, and so it's to that that Jesus actually gives us dire warning. I want us to read that, verse 28. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. 
Verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So here's where we find that uh, it's a kind of a famous passage where we, we come across the unforgivable or the, um, the unpardonable sin. And there's a lot of speculation that's been spilled over this in the history of, of, of this passage. Uh, but Jesus, what he says is very plain. That to deny that Jesus is God is to commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. To not believe that Jesus is telling the truth here, that he is claiming to be God, that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the unpardonable sin. And what he's saying here, he's giving this warning because these, these scribes are becoming guilty of that very sin by turning people away from Jesus instead of pointing people to Jesus, which is the work of the Spirit, is to point people to Jesus. And so if their attitudes and beliefs about Jesus would have continued, they'd become guilty of that unforgivable sin. And the same is true for any of us, even today. God is very patient with us. He is super kind to us. Uh, he allows us to question and wrestle and doubt and ask, really, ask the serious questions about our faith and really wrestle. He gives us time to process. But at some point, at the end of the day, we do have to reach a conclusion. Do I believe who Jesus said he was? Do I believe that's who he was, or do I not? Somebody today might feel a little anxious of all this unforgiving talk, right? Unforgiveness talk, the unpardonable, unpardonable sin. Oh my goodness, you know, it, it sounds kind of alarming at first, and I, I agree, it, it really is when you first hear of it, it's the first time. It made me ner nervous too. We can get so focused, though, on the unforgivable part that we miss the forgiveness part. And I want to draw our attention to that in verse 28, because it's, it's huge. The, the radical forgiveness of Jesus. Listen to, this, listen to this again. He says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. All sins. Every sin possible can be forgiven. I mean, so if you're thinking about, like, well, what about what I did at this time? Or who I was, or who I am right now. <laughs> like, God, you can't forgive me for, for that, or you can't forgive me for who I am. You don't know how dirty I am. Well, he does. And all sin, every sin can and will be forgiven through Jesus Christ. If you come to God through Jesus, the entire slate can be wiped clean by the blood of the Lamb. And so if anyone who worries, have I committed the unforgivable sin... And if you're asking that question, you, haven't forg you have not committed it because you're worried about what God thinks about you sinning. And that's a good place to be at because you're, you're coming to him. You're asking him to forgive you. That's a great place to be. But don't worry anymore. Don't worry about it. Rest in Jesus now. Lay your anxieties down. In Christ, God accepts you and he loves you. There's no sin that he can't forgive you of. There's no blasphemy, no blasphemy whatsoever that you can utter that he can't erase. You're forgiven in Jesus. And so one option is to believe Jesus is a lunatic. Another option is to believe that he's a liar. Finally, the last option is to believe that he is Lord. So let's think about that last one here, that Jesus is Lord. 
So it's clear that Jesus believed himself to be the Lord. Uh, that's what he defends here against his opponents in this passage. That's who he proves himself to be through these exorcisms. That's who he will prove himself to be when he is finally raised from the dead on the third day. But some people believe that Jesus was a good teacher who never once taught that he was God. Some people actually believe that. And all the facts point us away from that and tell us that Jesus was charged with blasphemy by his critics. Uh, the Jewish Talmud and the Jewish scriptures testify to the same thing that the Bible's teaching here on this point. That Jesus was put to death because he had committed the sin of blasphemy. That is a condemnable, condemnable crime. That's why they hung him up on a cross. The question is, do we believe him? That what he said is true. Another thing people say is, well, I will believe in God if God just shows me a sign. And that is a load of baloney, right? Because we think about this, right? The scribes of the Pharisees. The scribes, the scribes had witnessed casting out demons and healings. They've, they've heard all the reports of that. And do they believe? They still don't believe, right? They've had all the signs in the world, and that does not matter. And we have, we have so much evidence that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus did what he said he would do, and he was risen from the dead on the third day. And we have, we have evidence that points to those conclusions, that, that he was God. But the question still stands, do we believe it? We have to make a choice. Everyone has to come to a decision. Will we, what will we do with that news? Will we believe it or will we refuse him? As I mentioned, C.S. Lewis, how he, he brings up this liar, lunatic lord, the, what's called the trilemma. I want to read his argument here, what he says uh, to you and share it with you. Uh, you may have heard it before. Maybe you've never heard it. That's fine. So C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really silly thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him at his claim to be God. That's the one thing we mustn't say. And I should say this in a British accent, but I'm not going to. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. He never intended to leave that option open. So who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? What will you believe? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the immense patience you exercise towards us, that you give us time to hear your word and to process your truth. 
to listen and to learn and to hear. Father, I pray that you would overcome our doubts, that you would help us, Lord, in our unbelief, that we would come to true faith in Jesus Christ, that we'd come to believe who you said you, you would be, who you say you are, that we would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and in him have eternal life. Father, help us, Lord. Help us not to be deceived, to be led astray, but to come to, to really consider these truths and to believe in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.